All right, everybody, we're back. Episode 21, Tip of the Spirit Leadership Podcast. I have Brian Bastinelli with, with me today. 27-year student of the fire service. And uh, Brian, thanks for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I'm honored that you thought of me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Give the listeners uh, just a quick background of who you are. Uh, I'm, I mean, I know I've heard about you before. I know you're a very recognized name in the fire department, fire service. Excuse me. Um, just give us a quick background for the listeners who may not know who you are. Okay, um, I started out uh, in the end of high school as an EMT and a firefighter uh, back in the uh, early '90s, and I joined the volunteer fire department at home. Then I went down to York, Pennsylvania, to go to college and volunteered at the Grantley Fire Company uh, while I was in school and uh, started taking tests and eventually got picked up by Harrisburg. And I've been in Harrisburg for 27 years now. Um, I did eight years on an engine company and then eight years on a truck company before I promoted to lieutenant. And I did uh, four years as a lieutenant, uh, four or five years as a lieutenant, and then couple years as a captain and now I'm a battalion chief and I've been doing that since 2019. So you, uh, 16 years as a firefighter before you decided to promote. It sounds like it has a pretty good, uh, pretty good foundation. I would think I, I, I was a firefighter for eight years and I became a lieutenant and I've been a lieutenant now for, uh, almost eight years and with a total of 16 years in the department. Do you think that foundation, um, prepared you to uh, lead because I do think there's a issue in the fire service today where people prepare to promote, but they're not preparing to lead. They're not having their foundation and they're not getting ready to be leaders. They're looking, it's almost like they're looking to promote when they should be focusing yeah. on leadership. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, full disclosure, I tested prior to that uh, 16 year period, but I, um, decided that, uh, I really wasn't ready for it. Uh, I did sure. some acting time and, um, you know, I also, uh, another candidate got selected over me, um, at the same time. And I, at that point I didn't, you know, it didn't like piss me off or anything. I just decided, you know what, like, I'm not really feeling this yet. And I, I was loving what I did as a firefighter and I continued on the truck company until I got to a point where I was like, okay, I think I'm ready. You know, there was times when I'd come into sure. work and I just wasn't in the game and stuff. And I, and I think once you make the decision to move into leadership role at any level, you know, it changes, you know, it gets real. Um, and you have a responsibility and you got to be ready to live that responsibility all the time. And, and I wasn't at that point. And, um, until I got my, you know, head in the right place and I said, okay, I think I'm ready to try this. And, and I did, you know, and then spending eight years on the truck and then eight years, or I'm sorry, eight years on the engine. Um, and then the truck, I think that helped. I think, you know, at the firefighter level to be a good truck firefighter, you have to be a good engine firefighter. You have to understand what's going on inside. Um, and then I moved on to the truck and I got, you know, to work more independently. I started, you know, um, in our department, we're a small job. So, 
you know, it's nothing to be on the roof by yourself or doing a search by yourself or, you know, it's not best case scenario, but it's reality. And, uh, so I got to start to be a little bit more independent, um, start to lead more as a firefighter than you do, um, as part of the engine company or whatever. Um, so I think that was a, it was a good mix. And I, I worked with some really good firefighters and officers on those rigs. And I got to watch kind of how that stuff played out, what worked, what didn't work, how it made me feel, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and then I said, okay, I think I'm ready to, to try this and, and move on. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it actually, uh, sound it said to me, it sounds like it, it paid off in the long run. You know, a lot of things that people need to think about are, um, long-term, not, short term, what's in front of your face or what's in front of your two hands. You have to think several years down the road because before you know, you're going to blink and it's going to be here. So in its purest form, the fire service, in my personal opinion, um, the most basic level is the firefighter on the line. Fire doesn't get put out without the hand line putting the fire out, right? Everything else is just support. Everything. So that's from the other people on the engine, the guys on the ladder trucks, the rescue squads, command staff, all that. They all are, when you break it down to its purest form and for simplicity of conversation, it's the guy on the nozzle putting the fire out because that's ultimately what we're here for. Then everything else splits off. So yeah. you built your foundation with eight years in the engine. You learned, kind of got your uh, sea legs and you know you got yourself some experience, maybe a little... Uh, just enough to be dangerous, maybe not so much to really know what you're doing as far as being, uh, you know, com comfortable. Um, and I think your comfort and correct me if I'm wrong, probably came when you were on the truck, you're working more independently and it's that natural, natural progression of followership to now you are comfortable, right. And you're competent and you're able to function. And then you step up into that next level where you're now leading. You now are uh, self-aware, I guess is maybe a good way to say it. So that's 16 years, you be, and then you promote to lieutenant. And yeah. we're, we're looking at uh, 20 years, then you become a captain. So am I doing my math right? Yeah. Um, no, you might be off a little bit. Uh, 20, yeah. 20, 22 years, I think. 22 years. Okay. Um, I'd have to write. I'm terrible at math. I'd have to write that all down and, and tell you. We'll, we'll say about uh, but, uh, 20 yeah. years ish. And yeah. um, so what we talked about before we came, uh, we came on and started recording. We talked about Fireground 360, and uh, I'll let you introduce. I'll let you kind of get into that. Um, and you know, for my listeners, this man here is talking about um, 10 never-ending. What was the last part about pursuits? Ten never ending, Ten never pursuits. ending pursuits, and this is something that comes from twenty years, twenty ish. That's as bad. Twenty ish years. So you need to understand. We need to understand that and think about that as as he goes through everything, and uh, just think about twenty years, and he comes to the point where he feels he's ready to start teaching something. So please, Chief, without further ado, let's get into the Fireground Three Hundred and Sixty. And let's talk about it. Let's go. Okay. Um, so, so give you a little bit of a full to flesh out that that background a little bit. Um, I was in the volunteers at the same time and I did 
kind of go up through the ranks uh, of the volunteer service to chief of department um, at, at the same time that I was developing my career with Harrisburg. And um, I just started to see things that um, I didn't like or I liked uh, about the fire service, about people in it, you know, how things were done. And when I started to get the opportunity to kind of like bring this all together, um, it came after like the universe forced me to do some resetting. Um, you know, I lost my best friend as on a line of duty death. Um, I fell and had a significant head injury and, um, those things forced me into some deep, uh, introspection, some really hard looks at myself, where I was at, how I was conducting myself, what, what my goals were. Um, and you know, the, the crystal clear understanding that all of this is, you know, just a couple breaths away from being over, uh, whether it's through death or through, uh, you know, disabling injury, something like that happening, you just get to this point where you start to understand like, okay, uh, the stakes are super high. And I think we're, I think we always know that the stakes are super high, but until you start to experience it firsthand, uh, I don't think you have a full understanding of how disruptive to your life that can be, um, at some very core levels. So that's kind of the background of how I started to get to this place. And through my journey in recovering from that universal reset, um, I started to come up with some things that I, that I thought were pretty important and I started talking about them and it seems to have resonated, uh, with some people. And this is how I got to develop this program. So Fireground 360, the 10 never ending pursuits of a mission driven firefighter is the very long name for the class. Uh, I apologize. I couldn't come up with a better way to, to get it all in there. But, uh, so basically um, those 10 things are split into two parts. The first part is you, stuff that has to happen inside of you. And then the second part is more fire ground stuff. So the first five are vulnerability, honesty, humility, gratitude, and generosity. And I don't think you can move on to the second five unless you have a good grasp of those. And then the second five is uh, mental and physical fitness. Uh, an understanding of human behavior, uh, personal accountability and discipline on the fire ground and off, and then fire behavior building construction I lumped as one, and then at the last one is task level skill sets. And so that rounds that out, where those are some of the things that I think are the most important things for us to be working on every single day, uh, to be as good as we can possibly be in the firehouse, at home, on the fire ground, you know, doing all of the things that we do as uh, parents, spouses, uh, friends, firefighters, leaders. Um, I think it's all pretty wrapped up in the foundation of those 10 things. So that's kind of how I developed the program out. Sure. And, you know, I like how you start off with leading yourself, right? Frank Vescuzo in a book wrote, you know, a leader of one can be a leader of many. If you can't lead one, you can't lead any. And ultimately, at the end of the day, that's not a selfish quote. It all comes back to you as the officer, the firefighter, every, everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. You got to start with yourself. 
And by that, I mean, if you're not ready to go to work, you're not ready to lead, ready to follow, because followership is just as important as leadership. Um, if you don't come ready to seize the day and, and, and get going, you're not bringing value, right? You're not, and you have to have that work-life balance. And, uh, you know, a good friend of mine is named TJ Trujillo, and he, um, he has his own program that he does, uh, Instagram and all that stuff called keeping the promise. And it's his whole mantra is, uh, building resilient and well-rounded firefighters. You know, he really focuses on that as that work-life balance and things outside of the firehouse that will affect you in the firehouse. And that was a tough lesson for me of work-life balance. Cause I got to tell you, I wish I was a good, as good at being good at home as I am at work. Like, you know what I mean? Like I say all these things, I do all these things and I'm like, you know, this is what we need to do at work and here's my leadership, lead by example, all that. But when I go home, I sometimes I kind of suck and I wish I was able to practice what I preach to people at work at home, if that makes sense, because oh, you're not really, 100%. you know what I mean? Like when I go home, I'm not leading, you know, firefighters, but you know, I'm the head of a household, you know, I'm the man of the house and, and my job is to, for pretty similar, the same stuff, provide, protect, you know, educate all, all those things. Yeah. Lead by example, and, because no, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, I, I totally understand that. Um, you know, currently my wife and I are separated and living Sorry separately. Um, I, I appreciate it. Um, and you know, we're working through that. Sure. It's not a goal of where either of us wanted to be. Um, and you know, we both got us to where we're at now, but I, I acknowledge, you know, my role in that. And it is, it is tough to, um, to talk about these things and know that I don't always live up to my own standard, but I think that's who we are. That's who humans are. The, the resiliency, the grit, you know, it all comes from getting up and acknowledging that today I didn't hit my marks but tomorrow I'm going to try again and I'm going to try and be better than I was today and reminding ourselves that you don't just, whether it's as a human, as a firefighter or a leader, uh, you know, a fire officer, you don't just arrive at a, at a level and then knock it out of the park from that point on. It's, it is work every single day. And it's the same thing at home. It's the same thing with the, your relationships with your kids, with your spouse, you know, your family, everybody. You have to work on that stuff. Uh, it constantly has to be nurtured. It has to be fertilized. You know, if you plant a plant and just let it go, you know, most of the time, you're not going to have great results. You have to care for it. And, uh, you know, that's tough. That's tough for us to to acknowledge sometimes because we do get wrapped oh, yeah. up in a million different things. And, and, you know, very often it's not until after, you know, the, the bad thing, whatever that is happens that you get to learn that lesson. Uh, it would be sure. much easier if we could see it as we were going and we don't know, we don't always have that uh, clarity at the time that we need it. Yeah, and unfortunately, hindsight's always going to be twenty twenty, and I think that's why the work life balance is so incredibly important. Because I mean, depending on what schedule you work, but typically you're off of work more than you work. You know what I mean? So the opportunity and the situations that you're going to have at hand, where you're going to 
be kind of building, buying into that, you know, you're going to, you have to be strong at home. You have to have that, that strong work-life balance. And, you know, that ties into what you talked about with, uh, your 10 never ending traits is, you know, for the, the first part was with you, humility was one, right? And that's exactly what we're talking about is humility here. So yeah. let's continue to walk I think through. It... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, let's continue to walk through and let's get all this tied together and let's start moving forward. And yeah, uh, let's. So you know. I think we, we start with vulnerability, right? Like vulnerability and honesty are together uh, for me. Like you have to be honest with yourself in order to be honest with yourself. Uh, you need to be vulnerable and it's tough to be vulnerable in the fire service uh, because, you know, we're pretty good at beating each other down. Um, yeah. <laughs> no matter what the situation is and, Big egos. uh, right. And you know, we're tough on ourselves. It's tough to be vulnerable with yourself in that situation because a lot of vulnerability also kind of seems like, uh, softness or failure or whatever, but sometimes you have to, you know, take that hard look at yourself and say, yeah, I have some things that I need to work on or, you know, I'm not as good at that as I should be or my eating sucks or I'm not as physically fit as I should be um, or, you know, I have some demons that I have to work out, you know, that that are just dark areas. There's a there's a there's a price to pay in the form of darkness that comes with this job sometimes. And if you let it consume you, it certainly will. Uh, but if you are vulnerable and honest with yourself, maybe you can allow yourself to get to the point where um, you're able to reach out and get some help or talk to somebody, uh, you know, a counselor or somebody who's been through some things and just say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling a certain kind of way. And, uh, you know, I don't know the stats right off the top of my head, but I know right now uh, suicide is running pretty high as a leading cause of death for firefighters and that's that's a huge problem uh it's a controllable problem we shouldn't be allowing that to happen um but you know we'll we'll scream and yell at somebody for not wearing their seatbelt or not wearing their air pack and you know tell them you know you could you could be killed you could get cancer you could do all this stuff but we don't talk about the darkness that consumes each other um as openly as we should and it starts with vulnerability and honesty. So we got to build that foundation there. Um, we have to be humble. We have to realize that, you know, we're only as good as our performance today. And, you know, okay, so I, I passed a bunch of tests and I became a battalion chief. That doesn't mean I'm a good battalion chief. That just means I got to that rank. So I have to be able to look at my performance and my interactions with my guys and, and rate myself, uh, on, you know, internally and say, okay, today was a good day. You know, you did pretty good or today you didn't hit the marks. Like I didn't, I didn't serve the, the citizens or, or the firefighters the way I should have today. And if you, if you don't have humility, you don't tend to look at yourself as critically as you could or should. And maybe you're missing you know, an opportunity to improve. So I think it's, it's super important to be humble, uh, in that respect. 
Um, so vulnerability, honesty, and humility together, I think is, is builds that foundation. Once you start to have that foundation built, which it's like a, it's like a beaver dam, right? Like it's built, but it takes constant maintenance. If you, if the beaver doesn't constantly maintain the dam, the dam is going to fall apart. So it's the same thing. You got to constantly maintain that. And then once you, once you're doing that, you can start to be generous with yourself. You know, you can spend more time with your kids. You can, you know, treat your spouse better. You can develop more uh, important friendships and, you know, you can start to share educationally in the fire service, you know, train, training with other people, sharing experiences, that kind of stuff, because you're comfortable with who you are uh, and you're okay with being vulnerable. You can put yourself out there in a way that a, a lot of people wouldn't. And then, um, you know, gratitude, just be thankful for, for the opportunities that you have, the time that you have on this earth. Uh, you know, it's a flash and it's gone. Um, so you got to get the most out of it and you get the most out of it by becoming the best, doing the work to become the best person you can. And then just living, uh, getting out there and experiencing things and, and stepping out of your comfort zone and, you know, developing that, um, grit and resiliency and and you get to be somebody that um those who are not doing the work may never have the um experience of being right and i I don't want that to sound egotistical in any way like but you if you're if you're working on yourself and you're developing who you are and you realize that it is constantly uh it's constantly degrading without you paying attention to it, then, you know, you do, if you're willing to do that work, then you should have the benefit of enjoying uh, your life in a way that others may not, who are unwilling to do the work. Um, I I don't know if I'm saying that the right way or not, but. Yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I mean, you're right. You're right on the mark. I mean, you, you mentioned the uh, beaver maintaining the dam thing and, it's a good metaphor, and I think to go a little bit further is that water is never-ending and will, it was always incredibly heavy, and that water will always represent uh, stresses in your life. Um, it'll, stre- it'll represent yeah. calls, PTSD, all those other things. I'm not a big mental health uh, expert. You know, I, I do my best to try and learn from others and, you know, I guess, learn through it as I experience and go through it to be at, to be able to be better for the people that I, I lead to maybe hopefully recognize and help them. I don't know if I said that correctly or if that makes sense, but yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. Um, I pulled up a tw- March 19th, 2023 article from Forbes uh, magazine talking about firefighter suicide and says national fallen firefighters foundation that estimates that there are between 100 to 200 firefighter deaths by suicide each year. This is double the rate of the general population. Firefighters being first responders stay on the front line of disasters and emergencies. So, you know, I think people understand how difficult this job can be, but I don't think people quite understand how it takes its toll until it's they're in it. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but you know, I think. Yeah. Because we don't I, talk about it. 
Correct. It, it well, exactly yeah. correct. And and I think it's just like it's just like a um, you know, a, tr- a tree, right? If a tree dies, it rots from the inside. You don't see it until there's a problem. And it breaks off, right? Until you start to see it die. Um, you know, I don't know if that's really a good analogy, but you know, everything looks good until it's not. You know, and it's right. a slow progression and it's right in front of your face and you may notice it, you may not notice it, but one day you're going to look up, hey, that tree's dead, it's brown and it's wilted. I mean, mental health is, from what I understand and what I listen to and what I try to keep up on, is fairly the same where you can smile on the inside, outside, but you're rotting on the inside. Um, yeah. So and mental you know, health. One of, the, one of the things you said was that that's double the rate of, of um, the average citizen. If minus cancer it's also double the rate of all the other ways that we die every year so sure. right like i i don't know this the the current firefighter cancer statistics um but i do know that on average we have about 100 firefighters or less 50 to 100 firefighters a year are dying um on all the other categories of death and we're we're potentially doubling that with suicide. Um, I there are people who do uh, a lot of good work in this area. Um, I uh, am not one of them, but I pay attention to what they're doing. And you know, there is there are resources out there, but for us at our basic level, you and me, you know, we can start being a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more honest, a little bit more humble and having some of those important discussions and normalizing the fact that, you know, there is a dark side to this job. And I don't want to make it sound like, you know, we're all out there and it's, it's horrible because it's not, this is the best job in the world and I love it. And I don't know what else I would have wanted to do, but there can be a price to pay for it. And not everybody will pay that price. It's very circumstantial. There's a lot of other things that come into play. Your your upbringing, uh, your, your life prior to the fire service, um, the calls that you go on, the departments that you work for, the leadership you've been exposed to. There's a ton of things that, that play into it um, on who runs into those problems. I guess probably the place to look for information on that would be the military. Cause I'm sure it's the same. It's similar where not everybody that goes to war comes back and is in a, in a very dark place. Um, and I don't know the, the details of all of that, but all I'm saying sure. is that it's similar for us. Not everybody goes into the fire department and leaves a mental case, <laughs> but yeah. um, you know, sometimes we get in, we get challenged. And I think it's tough to talk about because as humans, we are, our mind is, is, is the soul of who we are, right? Like you have your physical body, but then like I have me, Brian is the Brian that people know. You have the mic that's people that people know, right? Like we're very afraid of losing that. That defines who we are in the world. And it's scary to talk about not being that person anymore. So if you're struggling, it's hard for me to talk about it with you because uh, it makes me think about the potential loss of my own mental health. And, and, you know, that's a, that's a tough thing for us to talk about. So, but I think we, I think we just need to do it more. Like it's, 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 you know, it's part of, it's part of this job. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't, 
develop at the same rate. You know, sometimes you have a critical incident which brings it to the surface. Other times it's it's just a filling up of the cup over time. And then some people don't even realize that there's an issue until long after they're not in the fire service anymore. And, you know, and then again, there's people that are lucky and, and don't really, you know, go in and out of the fire service relatively unscathed uh, physically and, and mentally. And, and that's great. That's what we all hope for. Sure. But it's not the reality for a lot of people. Sure. And, you know, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to reach out for help. It's okay to... Uh, feel overwhelmed, and I think I'm trying to think of how to say this. I've been in my own personal version slash um, walked a mile in my own shoe. That's not how you say that. I've been through my own struggles, so I'll say it that way. And I've kind of walked in the shoes of people before me that have struggled, and I know what that feels like. At least what I experienced. And I know that it sucks and it was terrible. And it actually happened to me when I was an officer and it impacted everything. It impacted my ability to be at work. It impacted my um, performance at work and it affected my ability to lead and take care of those in my control. And went through some stuff, got some stuff done, taken care of. And uh, I learned it was okay to not be okay. And it made me come back stronger. And I still have pitfalls. You know, I, I still... Uh, I still struggle at times with certain things, but once you have the tools to be able to learn how to manage those things, you can become a better version of yourself, right? And yeah. once you're able to do that, it allows you to be able to open the doors for those that you lead that need help. It makes you help. It helps you to um, helps you to recognize it. And I think, and I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again: being an officer is the been the most rewarding thing in my in my work life my professional life that's how you say it. yeah my professional life um because now i have the ability to open the doors to help other people i re i can hopefully recognize it if someone's not all right because i pay attention i care a lot about the guys and girls that i work with and you know if i see something i'm going to say something right and i mean you it's very difficult and or not very difficult it can be very um stressful to have those difficult conversations with people when you recognize something's not right. But if you put yourself in the, in the position to be the best version of you, the ripple effects you have across the department or we'll take it out, we'll take the fire department out. The ripple effects you're going to have as a human being in its purest form of just humanity. I don't quite think people understand the reach you have, right? Because think about that. It's, you know, this is just, I mean, just for conversation's sake, I don't know if this is really a stat, but let's say as an officer, you work with 30 people, 40 people in your five years as a lieutenant, and then, you know, you go do something else out of the field. Well, that's a ripple effect because those people are going to affect others. They could promote eventually, remember things that you do, things that you don't do, because you know, you're going to learn from good officers and you're going to learn from bad officers, right? That Because the they're out there. And yeah. I think if you have good effects on people, that's going to create that ripple effect to where could you make change? I don't know. I don't know if you can make change, but you can help put them in the position to be successful and you can help them, you know, recognize things that need to be addressed and deal with the, I would call it the uh, mental game of the fire service. Cause there's, there's, uh, 
emergencies and then there's non-emergencies, right? Then you break that down and there's station life and then there's your personal life. You break that down again and now you have um, in the firehouse, you'll have your interpersonal relationships like you and your employee or, you know, you and your, your crew members, um, you know, different crew members have different relationships with different people. And then on the home side of it, you have uh, your relationship with your family, friends, and your, you know, your uh, spouse and your children, if you have children and all that, and those all have their own separate special thing, special um, uh, relationships, right? But ultimately, at the end of the day, it all comes all the way back to um, one big package of it's all mapped together and boom, here you go. And you have to be able to balance all that. And one thing, and the reason why I'm going down this, it's a little bit of a rabbit hole, but the reason why I'm bringing it together is... You know, statistically, families that eat together and have meals together over time are going to build stronger bonds. The kids are going to be more successful. They're going to, you know, all those life events, uh, the life uh, uh, benchmarks that you're going to, you're, right. they're going to succeed. Um, and that has a parallel into the firehouse. Into the firehouse, you have the kitchen table or a tailboard. or whatever your little congregating area is. Well, just for conversation's sake. We'll call it the kitchen table because that's kind of the cliche. Everybody kind of, kind of knows it. You know, everything starts and ends with the kitchen table, right? You got to come in the kitchen. You got to, you guys eat as a family or eat together as a crew or breakfast or, well, some places people don't like breakfast. So they don't do breakfast, but they still eat together. They may not cook and eat all the same food, but you're together because of that human nature thing. So um, that was a little long-winded and I apologize for that. But I do think that's where you're going to see people's vulnerability. You're going to see their honesty, the humility, um, maybe even some gratitude and generosity, which is going to start with them, right? Yeah. That's when you start learning the people in your crew. And, the, and I'm looking at this from an officer standpoint, when you're going to start right. assessing those guys that you work with, you know, because I mean, and I say this every episode, so <laughs> I think people are going to get sick of me saying it, but you got to let the guys be the guys, right? Let the men be the men and do their job. Because ultimately, that's what it's about. Like I said way, way, way before, in its purest form, it comes down to the firefighter pulling the handline, putting the fire out on the engine. Everything else is pure support, including us as officers. Um, so we and, – and, and I apologize for kind of a little no, – uh, No, no, it's a, You're 100%. You're 100% right. And oh. I think you can sum all of that up uh, with one word, and it's trust. Like all of the yes. stuff that you just talked about, the stuff that I'm talking about, you know, me being vulnerable or honest and humble, or, you know, with myself and with other people, it helps develop trust. And that's when it comes down to whatever the relationship, whether it's at home or, or on a fire, you know, you have to be able to trust the person that you're interacting with. And I think that if we're if we're building those foundations and we're doing that work, it will slowly build that trust over time. And it's tough because especially when you, when you step out of the role of firefighter and move into the officer ranks that, you know, when you show up and you've been a a firefighter for eight years and tomorrow you're a Lieutenant, whether we'd like to say this or not, most people don't care that you've been a lieutenant for five minutes. They want you to be the lieutenant. And you, you have to know 
you know, you may be replacing a guy who retired after 30 years. Well, they don't care. They want, they want tomorrow to be the same as it was yesterday. Like, you know what I mean? Like you, you are, you're there. Now you got to do it. And a lot of times, you know, it comes down to, you know, kind of faking it till you make it, but you got to do work. You can't just fake it till you make it. You have to do the work to, to earn that trust, to be a reliable officer, to be, you know, uh, especially now, like for me as a battalion chief, I'm sending guys into harm's way. They have to know that I'm making decisions based on an understanding of what I see happening of who the players are that are that are out there um, doing the work and what they're capable of and where they may, may need some help and that I'm not going to send them into situations that they're not going to be able to get get away from. And sometimes that happens regardless of what your intentions are, but we have to have that unwritten, um, unreally talked about trust in each other uh, and that comes from those daily interactions from, you know, that firehouse kitchen table talk. And, and if I go into the to the firehouse and I'm not willing to be real or be who I am, you know, the guys will see right through that. And then sure. that'll translate later on to the fire ground. And if I ask them to do something on the fire ground, they have to know that um, I'm not just knowingly sending them off to their death. Like, I believe we can do what I'm asking you to do. More specifically, I believe you can do what I'm asking you to do. And I'm going to have your back and I'm going to get you what you need to get that that job done. So I think all of it, you know, all of that stuff uh, that we just talked about comes comes to, uh, you know, can be brought under the auspices of trust and developing trust. And if you can't do those five things, if you can't be vulnerable, honest, be humble, have gratitude for what you're doing and for the people you're doing it with and be generous with yourself, uh, with them, then, you know, you're going to struggle with trust. And then that brings us into that, the second half of the list, you know, where we'll never get to that second half of the list because we'll still be trying to develop relationships that it's all based on. So, yeah. No, I, uh, that you, that was very well said, uh, Brian. And you know, I want to add a little bit to it that trust takes time, right? Don't rush it. You know, I fell, I fell into the trap of when I got promoted. I left a crew that everybody was tight. Right, I was there about a year. Our, so our system's kind of weird. We have to be medics to promote. So I did. I did my time on a medic unit. Then I got put. I got thrown off and thrown off into a. It's a paramedic ambulance. So it's one paramedic and well, in my case, one medic and um, a driver. So that's called a uh, medic unit or a paramedic ambulance because it does ALS and BLS. One ALS provider, one BLS provider. And I did about a year with this crew, and I got I got on I got on it. Got right off and. Timing wise, it was great. Like it was good for me. I was only on a medic unit for almost a year total and got right back into suppression. But what I'm getting at is I had a really good sis, a really good thing with my crew. And we were able to laugh and joke. I was one of the guys. I can make all the jokes I wanted, cut up all I wanted. You know, they had the group text things. We could do whatever we wanted. I walked into my first day as a day work station officer um, in a firehouse thinking what I did with them, I'm going to do here. 
and that did not work out at all. It blew up in my face so bad. So what I'm saying is trust is trust or trust, excuse me, trust takes time. Don't rush it. You're going to want to, you're going to, you're going to want to have that click and that, that chemistry and all that, but that takes time. You know, um, the crew that I work with now, we've been together almost five years and the difference between us now and us when we started night and day, night and day, like there's, there's things where before they're saying it, I'm kind of thinking, I already know what they're going to say. And I'm sure maybe they think the same thing about me. I don't know. Um, but what I do know is there, we've been through some hairy situations and it just clicked. Like we were all on the same page, whether they said it first and then I was like, all right, yeah, no, I got it. Or I was like, Hey, boom, boom, boom. Or my personal favorite, and this is a very good feeling as an officer where they pop that air brake and you look back, you don't say a word and everything is moving smooth and exactly what you know you want. And all you have to do is confirm with communication. Like, you know, Hey, 300, right? You're good. All right, let's go. Or you're going to the apartment building. You're like, all right, cool. I know that we're going to go to the, you know, whatever, wherever in the building. I'll say a garden apartment just for ease of conversation. And you know, top floor apartment. Hey, top floor, y'all good? Yeah, we got it. And you can see their line is stretched correctly. They're ready to go. They have all their gear on correctly. And now all you're doing is orchestrating, not um, giving step-by-step directions. So yeah, where I think a lot of that comes into though, and I'm, I want to walk back just a little bit. You mentioned about them expecting that from you day one. Um, and you're not going to have that from day one. But what you are going to have is experience. You know, yeah, it's the same job or the same um, goal, right? The fire goes out. Every, or everyone's safe. The fire goes out. Everybody comes home. You, you come back with the same number of guys you left with, right? In its purest form, that's basically the goal. So when you walk in as a brand new lieutenant day one, you're still going to expect the driver to be able to drive the engine to the correct address with the most correct direct route and pump water. The firefighter in the back, I think you guys call them pipe men, I believe. Um, he's going to still be expected to pull that hand line. He's going to be expected to pull the correct hand line and get to the seat of the fire, get his stuff on, do it all correctly in a safe manner. And you're going to expect all of that out of them, but they don't know what they're going to expect out of you because they know they've done this before. They don't know what you're going to act like because now you're the officer. So, you know, ultimately... Your experience is going to play a lot into that. Um, you are going to have a reputation before you get there. People know everything before you walk in the door, whether it's good or bad. <laughs> you see, you smile, and you know what I'm talking. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah. Like it's your reputation will precede you, good or bad. And unfortunately, I've been on both sides of that coin. I think. I think I've kind of walked into some situations where um, I had a little bit of street credit, and then there's a situation I know I've walked into where I looked like the biggest idiot there is, and it was. Um, quite the experience and, and I'll leave it at that. And, um, yeah. there's a really good then, quote uh, out there. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was go just going to say, and then on top of all of that, there is the unknown of what the world is going to throw at you. Uh, and you don't know whether you have the ability to, uh, handle the situation, right? Because you have no idea what sure. the situation is going to be on t- on top of that. Um, sure. You know, and that's where it comes back to that 
those moments when when things get really hairy on the fire ground uh, and you have developed that trust where you can look at each other and say, okay, we don't really know what this is. We've never done this before, but together we're going to get through it. We're going to sure. just keep moving forward. We're going to do our best. We'll, we'll get through this. And, you know, we've had incidents like that where you're just like, I can't even believe that I'm standing here seeing this right now. Oh, and it's us. We have to take care of it, right? Like, you don't wish it on anybody. Yeah. And then you're just like, okay, but we'll, we'll do it. And, and at those times, I think those are, those are the times you look back on later and say, uh, you know, that was a terrible call. Uh, I wish that call never happened, but I'm so glad I was there. And I'm so glad I was there with you guys. Um, yeah, and, yeah I th I've been to that. Yes. I know exactly yeah, what you're talking about. And, and, oh, yeah. you know, that makes you feel good because you know that all of that other stuff is working. You are moving forward. You are developing those relationships. You are developing that trust because you just got through some crazy shit that would challenge anybody sure. and you did it. And, you know, like, so you, again, you don't want to be there. You don't wish that whatever the situation is, is happening to, to the people. But at the end of the day, like you're damn proud of the job that your crew did. And, you know, you wouldn't want to be there with anybody else. Like, that's just a sign that like, Hey, I think we're, we're making some good progress here. Sure. And, you know, there's kind of always that epiphany. I'm sure you've been, I'm sure you've kind of. <laughs> maybe you've been through it or maybe you have it. I don't know, but there's been a few situations where I was kind of in the middle of, I'm not going to get into quite the details, but um, basically you're kind of like, yeah, something needs to happen here. Somebody needs to do X, Y, and Z. Oh shit. That's me. Yeah. I need, I, I, need, I need to act on this. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's get this figured out and you know, you knock it out of the park and, and, and everything's good. So, um, I do want to kind of change gears a little bit here. Let's get into the second part of that. We've talked about, you know, you got to have mental clarity. You've got to have your, um, yeah. Also, you got to have your shit together and, right. um, you know, you go through those first five and we talked about that. Let's talk into how that translates into the fire ground, what it does and the fire ground in general. And, uh, sure. let's get going on that. Okay. So the, the next, the next few, uh, fitness, mental and physical, uh, understanding human behavior, uh, personal um, accountability and discipline, uh, an understanding of uh, building construction and fire behavior, and then an ability to carry out task level skill sets um, consistently and correctly. So um, back to mental and physical fitness, you know, we we have talked a little bit about that already, so I won't get too deep into into mental fitness, but you have to do the work to get yourself ready to do this job, to see the things you're going to see, to be able to, to understand that you're going to have to set that stuff aside for a little bit to carry out whatever uh, jobs and tasks that you're assigned during a, a challenging incident. And then, you know, be able to get back to it and, and do the work that you need to, to, to put it where it needs to be put. Um, physical fitness, I think is pretty, pretty obvious. Um, you know, it takes, um, somebody who is paying attention to their body and, um, you know, developing strength and, uh, longevity. Um, you know, you can't just be super strong on the fire ground. You also have to get through the whole incident. 
And uh, a lot of times people are kind of one way or the other, myself included. You know, I have a lot better stamina than I do strength. Um, I'm not a big guy and I've learned ways to, uh, overcome that challenge on the fire ground, um, and still be successful. So I think you got to put that work into, you know, you have to be in the gym, uh, whether it's lifting, um, you know, calisthenics, cardio, that kind of stuff. You do have to pay attention. And I know some of my guys are probably laughing at me because, you know, I don't spend as much time lifting in the gym as as I should, uh, I I'm pretty much a steramill running rowing kind of guy. Um, that's okay right now because generally the heaviest thing I lift is my clipboard or the command board. <laughs> but uh, you know you gotta you gotta uh, you know you gotta do the job. You gotta be in the condition to do the job that you're assigned to do. And uh, I would love to be in in better shape than I am, though. Um, you know. I probably will run longer than you. Um, you know, not that that sure. means anything, but it's just the way you you change and progress through life. But I think it's sure. super important to be to be as fit as as you can be, and that also means uh, making good decisions in nutrition. Um, you know, um, alcohol is another thing that challenges a lot of firefighters. I'm not gonna. I don't drink anymore after my head injury. Um, not that I had a, a problem, but it just affected the recovery process. So I stopped doing it. And then I just said, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. And it was a pretty good decision um, in my life. And, you know, so again, I'm, I, it's not for me to talk about people's problems with alcohol, other than it is a problem for some people. And, you know, it can make your job a lot harder than, than what it is. So you just have to, you know, pay attention, do what's right for you. But mental, physical, you know, be as fit as you can do the work that's necessary. Um, I want to jump in here real quick too. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to the drinking stuff, anyone that knows me knows where I'm going to go with that. So I'm not going to get into great detail. Um, I haven't drank since, uh, October 14th, um, 2017, 2018, excuse me. And, um, you know, the mental clarity you get from not drinking alcohol is a huge deal. Like, and it's not something I can explain or put into words until you stop. And then at some point as you work through it, you're going to, um, the clarity that you're going to get is, I, again, I, I really wish I could put into words, but anyone that's been there or is going through it or whatever, when you go through that and you get that clarity because that toxin is out of your system completely, um, you know, once, once you get there, you'll know what it is. And, and the reason why I wanted to jump in, I apologize for cutting you off. Um, but you know, again, like I said before, it's okay to not be okay with that. And it's okay because the reality is people drink and they do drink in excess and they binge drink and they drink too much. And most of all, you know, you, you know who you are, right? You know who you are if you're, if you're drinking too much. So, you know, there is a big difference when you stop. So I apologize for jumping in. That's something that yep. I had a bit of a personal um, personal attachment experience with. So I just wanted to put that out there. But keep yeah, going. Alex. No, I, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, sure. um, I didn't I, – I never had a drinking problem. I was a social drinker. Um, and I just – it was 
part of my recovery process from the head injury to not sure. be consuming alcohol. And sure. it was, it did feel good and it did lead to that, you know, clarity and stuff that you're talking about. And I was like, Hey, I actually don't need this. And, um, you know, I have a, uh, part of my family has a long history with alcoholism and I've seen the, the day-to-day effects of that. And I've seen the long-term health effects of that. And, you know, it's a, it's a challenge. And, um, you know, I don't mean it was easy for me to stop drinking because I didn't have a drinking problem. And I don't mean to minimize the struggle that people go through. And I just want people to hear me say that I understand the effects of that because, you know, it's, it's touched our family. And, and I think it's, it's important to say that I don't, I'm not minimizing that struggle in any way. Sure. No. And, and, and I know, I know you're not, and, and I don't think yeah. anybody would, um, but there is some type of, um, it, I'm trying to think of how to say it, but basically what I'm going to get at is, especially on the fire ground when you're, you're, you know, going to work, you know, not having that stuff in your system, I mean, makes you feel much cleaner, lighter, leaner, um, to where you are able to actually think with clarity, especially if you're yeah. in that officer position. I will, again, not to minimize that, that struggle, but I'll tell you the struggle that I have now is sugar. Yeah. Uh, and it, it can be just as bad. And, yeah. you know, that's something that I'm, I constantly work on trying to eliminate from my life. And, uh, it just tastes so good. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, I'm a sweet tea guy and I like Starbucks drinks and I drink some coconut water that has a little bit of sugar in it, you know, like it's going like it's water itself. And uh, it is a struggle to get that out of out of my system. And it's something that I battle with every day. And I, and I know that I would feel much better if I could get away from that as well. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's tough. It's t- it's t- it's tough. Yeah. Well, that rolls into that accountability and discipline part as well, right? You have to be yeah, disciplined. So, you have to be accountable to yourself, which, you know, is translates into the fire ground. So let's let's roll into that. And yeah, let's keep moving. I think um, I think that when you you know you do have to be disciplined, you have to set up some systems in your daily life. You know, and it's as basic as the way you check the the rig, the way you lay out your gear. Um, you know, I know that the the guys at the firehouse. Uh, laugh sometimes about the process that I go through at the beginning of the shift. I print out a roster and I highlight the officers on the roster. And like I, when we go out to shift change, we sit at the bay table and I get out my highlighter and I, and I'm highlighting everything I go through and I do it the same way every day. And, you know, they watch me and like, it's, it is a little entertaining, but like I'm very specific about how I do it, but it gives me a couple of minutes to focus and it reminds me of what's at stake, right? Cause I am looking at every single name on that roster. I'm spending, you know, three or four minutes looking straight at that roster, seeing those names and reminding myself that this is what's at stake today. These are the people that I am here to serve with and serve and protect as much as I can and my decisions will have a direct impact on them. So I like to take that time to sit there with that roster and focus and say, okay, it's game time. And, uh, and that's how I do it. I'm sure other people do it in a, in a different way, 
but I, I sit there, I go through, I highlight it, I look at it and, um, it just gets me into that mindset of what we may have to do on that particular shift. And that, you know, that's my job is to, is to make sure it goes as good as it possibly can go. And that starts in the firehouse with, you know, company drills and, you know, all that kind of stuff, all the way down to how we operate on the fire ground, how I operate on the fire ground, um, you know, watching over the, the, the guys that are in there getting the jobs done that are in harm's way. So I think that, you know, I have to be personally accountable for my role in the operation, as does everybody else. Um, and, you know, that's where the second half of this is all kind of tied together. So we skipped over human behavior, but, you know, I think we've been really talking a lot about human behavior, uh, understanding how people react in stress, uh, whether it's ourselves or the people that we serve. Uh, you know, I have a good video example of, of a guy that came out of a fire. I arrived on scene. We had a report of a jumper that was confirmed. We had fire in the second floor. I watched this guy come out of the building and he came right over to my car and he said, there's a lady on the second floor. She's on the, on the floor in the front room and she's on fire. I can still go get her. And I was like, no, we'll go get her. And, um, I told the companies where she was at and, you know, that we have confirmed entrapment. Um, in my mind, there was other than being on the phone with that lady, there was no better, more credible information. I watched this guy come out of the building. He told me exactly where she was, uh, and what the conditions were. I got out of the car after I transmitted that to the guys, I got out of the car, I get my gear on and he comes up to me and he says, Hey, uh, we just talked to her on the phone. She's okay. She's at work. And that call really challenged me because I initial, my initial response was, I was kind of pissed off at the guy. I'm like, yo, like I just, you know, my guys were going to go in there and they were going to search anyway. But when you tell them that there is a lady on the floor on fire, uh, in a specific room, they are going to go to a different place and they're going to get that job done at great risk to themselves, which is what they signed up for. But if I don't need to send them in there in that mode, I would rather not, right? We're still going to search. We're still going to do all the things that we're going to do and it's still dangerous. But you know what I mean? There is a difference when you have that known thing. Sure. So originally I was kind of an, I was kind of pissed off at him. And then I, you know, after I got back and I started, I watched the video, I started to pay more attention to like, well, why did this guy say that? And he said it because he lived in that building. That lady lived in that apartment. She should be there. He knows that she's in there and he went there and saw something on the floor, which his mind told him was probably her. And I can't fault him for that. Right. Because those are sure. the conditions of that he's living in. You know, he cares about that lady, like all of that kind of stuff. So having an understanding of how humans behave and how decisions are made, how your mind, you know, manipulates situations. Um, there was just a thing I saw the other day on, on Instagram and it was a picture and you look at it, when you glance at it, it was a color picture. And when you look at the next picture, it was a zoom in and it actually wasn't a color picture, but there were certain colors that had a crisscross pattern 
with large areas of black and white. Um, and it was just enough color for your mind to fill in the blanks. So when you look at this picture, it was a color picture, but it wasn't at all. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff that we need to spend some time understanding because it will pay dividends if we understand what our mind is actually doing while we're doing our job and how that affects our decision making, how it affects other people's decision making, how it affects how they respond under stressful situations, that kind of stuff. So that that discipline and personal accountability and human behavior are a kind of a package deal. Um, you know, I like doing company drills. I like watching our company drills. Um, you know, I like understanding what my guys are capable of, where they run into some friction points. And, you know, I use video. Uh, I run a bunch of cameras on a fire if possible. Um, at least I have a helmet cam going and I watch those and I watch them and I watch them again because I want to understand what my guys are doing out there and how how they function in there and how I function in that situation so that we can consistently improve our performance and watching that game film is critical to that you know I'll uh and I and I think it's paid off uh dramatically we could talk about that later but um so that's you know human behavior discipline personal accountability and then you know, obviously fire behavior, building construction, you could call that understanding the environment in which we operate. Uh, you know, you, you have to know, have a basic understanding or even an advanced understanding of the buildings, how they're laid out, what the construction is, what that construction means for fire spread and void spaces and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, understanding fire behavior, how the stuff that we're putting into buildings is evolving, uh, whether, you know, we used to talk about, you know, legacy versus modern. Now we have, you know, subcategories of modern, such as lithium ion batteries and stuff that are even further changing this, this stuff. You know, we have to continuously understand that evolution or we're going to get behind you know it's easy for us in harrisburg to say you know we fight legacy building fires because we really do that's the a huge part of our construction however we have modern high rises we have uh you know we have row houses that look like 100 year old row houses that are 100 percent lightweight you know completely rehabbed houses inside if we're not paying attention to that we don't know that we're going to treat it a certain way um, that isn't appropriate. And then the other thing that I think is starting to happen is we're starting to time out uh, these 100-year-old buildings that have given us that safe opera safer operating platform. Oh, it's legacy construction. It's dimensional lumber. We can operate for this amount of time. Well, they're now 100 to 150 years old, many of them not cared for. So they're starting to um, degradate all on their own in ways that we don't necessarily always see, you know, we have rot, we have all that kind of stuff. And we're starting to see more and more collapse of those types of buildings. And I think sometimes just because it's built well in the beginning, doesn't mean 150 years later that it's still capable of, of performing the same way on a normal day, let alone on fire. So you got to get, you got to get in the weeds with that kind of stuff, get out in your district you know, see what's going on, stop at construction sites, talk to people, take pictures, share that, share that kind of stuff. 
And I think it's, it's really important to understand, you know, how, uh, the evolution of buildings and how the evolution of the stuff that we put in buildings affects our operations. And then, um, the last thing is task level skill sets, which is, you know, forcing doors, throwing ladders, stretching lines, you know, hitting a hydrant, uh, basic communications, searches, all that stuff that we do at the very ground level, that stuff just has to happen and it has to happen as flawlessly as possible. I'm not naive enough to, to say that, you know, we're going to knock it out of the park every single time, but we need to do the work to make sure that we're getting as close to that as possible. So, you know, stretching lines, you know, a lot of times guys will, guys will, uh, you know, talk down on people stretching lines in parking lots or, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And, and I don't understand that because it may not be the environment that you, that you operate in or want to operate in, but it's a person going through the motions of getting better at their job. And, you know, I think that's critical. You, when you watch a, when you watch a, like an Olympic downhill skier and they're getting ready to go and they're standing up on the top and they're pre-visualizing their run and you can see them going through the motions and stuff. I think it's a lot of the same thing, like stretching a line, like pulling that line off of the rig and getting it onto your shoulder. If you use a minute man or, you know, whatever you're doing, um, you know, you got to be good at that and it doesn't just happen. Right. So I haven't pulled lines, uh, as my job in a long time. So if they said, uh, not that this would ever happen, but (laughs) if they said, Hey chief, you're riding the rig tomorrow and I had to pull a hand line, like, should I expect that it's going to go perfectly? Absolutely not. And you know, it takes, it takes daily practice on those basic skills. So one of the examples I like to use is, you know, you, you go around to the seaside of a building at three o'clock in the morning and there's six people hanging out of the window. I want you thinking about who needs to be rescued first and understanding why they need to be rescued, not you and me having a discussion of how we're going to throw the ladder, who's going to stand where, like the ladder just needs to go up and our brain processing power needs to be paying attention to who we're getting triaging those victims. Like this guy's got to go first and understanding because you can see his physical condition. You can understand his human behavior and you can look at the smoke and interpret the smoke and see the heat and you know, that kind of stuff. But if we're over here working on who's going to, you know, stand, are we doing a beam raise or who's going to stand where like we're failing that guy already. So I think that's where that task level skill set comes in it. And it's very easy for us to say, well, we do that all the time. And and the reality is we don't, we go to work all the time, but we don't do all of those skills all the time with the exception of some very few, you know, companies that are, that are, that are getting to do it all the time. But I'll look you know, from my experience, you know, those companies that are out there doing these skills all the time, day to day, are some of the companies that spend the most amount of time training out of all the companies in the fire service. So there's never an end to developing those core basic level skills. Um, and I think it's, it's super critical that we pay attention to it. So yeah, that's that. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. <clears throat> I read a, I read in a book, um, it's called uh, one bullet away making a Marine Corps officer. And one of the things that he talks about, he relates a lot of our uh, Spartan concepts 
right? So one of the things that they said was to, um, when you train, right, you fight bloodless battles. So when you, you go and you go and fight the war, all you're doing are bloody exercises, right? It's the same thing. Um, you know, that way you train as hard as you fight. So when you fight, it feels easier than what you trained, I guess in a simpler form than that. And, you know, here's another analogy I'll throw at you. And and this is one that just kind of popped in my head. I don't know if it's going to really have a big translation, but it's something that I can easily relate with. I play in a pipe band, right? So you have practice once a week and and when you're uh, when you go to your practice, you practice your instrument. Drummers go do their things. Pipers do their things. And at the end, everybody comes together and we run through different sets. Pipe major calls off the song or the tune, right? But when you go to call off the tune in practice on a Tuesday, he's not going to tell you how to throw, you know, an F sharp on the bagpipes or how to how to uh, play uh, a four four for the drummers. Or, you know, he's not going to teach you how to run a fl- do a flam if you're a snare drum. He's not doing that. It's coming in with the expected knowledge of what we're doing. And he says, here's your goal. The goal is X tune. Boom, go. And everybody does their part. And, it, and he's just orchestrating. And he's jumping in there and playing as well. So why I, I bring that up as a company officer or as a chief, you know, it's the same thing. My job is to say, second floor back bedrooms on fire. Let's go after, let's get after it. You do your job. I'm working with you. I'm going to be accomplishing this goal with you, but I'm doing my stuff. I have officer stuff to do. You're the nozzleman. You're doing nozzleman stuff. He's backup. He's doing backup man stuff. Driver's doing driver stuff. Everybody is on the same sheet of music and everybody's being orchestrated or conducted by the officer with one common yeah. goal, right? hundred percent. Yep. Maybe not be, I don't know if that was a great analogy, but. No, it is, it is a good analogy, I think, because when I look at a fire, you know, and I watch some of my uh, fires back and I'm reviewing that, uh, the ones that I'm most proud of, I, I don't say too much, right? Like I right. get there I or whoever's arriving first, you know, we, we want to get a good size up. Um, sure. We want to, we want to verbalize that size up and then get a 360 done and verbalize the conditions on that 360. But very rarely will you ever hear me call out orders on what people should be doing. Uh, The company officers, the arrival order, our SOPs kind of all dictate that already. So I should only ever have to course correct if something comes up that's unexpected or we run into some, some sort of friction point that we have to overcome. Otherwise, everybody should know their job, and if they don't know their job and they're not doing a good job on the fire ground, we're failing you know, in our training, and we're failing in our discussions ahead of time because that game day, we want to be ready. And that's why I think it's so important to go back and, and watch those performances on video if we can do that because there's, it doesn't lie, and we learn so much from about ourselves, you know, like I always clear my throat like 50,000 times on the way to a call in the, in the car. And I didn't know that, uh, I do it. I heard it on my dash cam, right? Like I, I guess it's just a, a nervous ticker. I'm getting that energy out or whatever. If you asked me if I did that, I would tell you, no, I don't do that, but I do it all the time. Right. I just didn't know. So you pick up those little things that you, that you see in your performance and you're like, oh yeah, look at that. Like I do do that. 
I wonder why I do that. How can I change that if it's something that needs to be changed or, you know, whatever. And, and there's so much that we miss when I was a Lieutenant, my, um, battalion chief would ask me all the time, you know, Hey, was the fire alarm going off? Was there a smoke detector going off? And I'd be like, uh, no, I don't think so. And then I would watch my helmet cam video and, and, you know, there'd be a 12 inch bell on every floor ringing on the, on the landing. And I was like, wow, that's weird. But then again, it comes back to human behavior. I now understand that auditory exclusion is a thing. Um, I'm responding as a firefighter to a fire and I'm operating on a fire floor, my brain doesn't need to keep the information about the fire alarm going off front and center because I know that already, right? Like, so it dumps what it doesn't need in favor of more processing power for the, for the problem set that's in front of you. So, you know, we, we learn from watching that stuff. That's stuff that I would have never have picked up. I don't think, uh, without seeing that that video and watching that that basic performance, and you know, if I watch my guys performing like that, it helps me to understand uh, what I can expect from them, and then I can better time out the fire ground. It keeps us in in better uh, sync. You know, we had a fire where I wasn't hearing from the officer doing the search above the fire, uh, in a time that I thought was appropriate. So I called him and asked him for a can report. And, um, you know, he just, he just keyed up the mic for a second. And all I could hear in the background was the irons banging away on a door. And then he said, we're still searching. So immediately I knew that my time expectation for that operation had to change because they were running into locked doors. And so it's if I didn't know how long it would take them to normally search a floor, um, you know, I might not have picked up on like, Hey, it's going a little bit longer. What's going on. Let me talk to him and find out. So I think there's, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, that we really got to work on, uh, that task level stuff, that task level performance, how long does it take us to do that kind of stuff? And I, I try to really pay attention to my guys and, and that kind of stuff, because one thing I don't want to do is also, you know, when you're standing out front and you don't have information, your mind tends to to wander around and it never wanders to a good place. And I don't want to be all up in their business preventing them from doing their job by asking them a million questions either. So I need to understand how they perform so that I have a good expectation of uh, when we might be getting into a problem, if that makes sense. It does. And, you know, auditory exclusion is a real thing. Um, I didn't really know a whole lot about it until, uh, I took, uh, leadership under fire and started learning about the human performance stuff. It was stuff that just, yeah. I just, I didn't know about it and I started learning yeah. and it's really that's funny. A, that that's a, just as an aside, that's a great program. Um, and I think, I think that if we had more people doing programs like that, uh, we would see vast improvements in our, in our service. And it's There's an absolute no brainer. Like, you know, we talked in the beginning about, being preparing yourself to lead, not prepare yourself to take a promotional test. And I think a lot of that gets hammered in, um, with leadership under fire. I think it teaches you some humility and it teaches you kind of what you're going to think about, what you're going to go through and why you're thinking about it and why you're physically feeling that way, which is what I wanted to bring up as well as you're talking about, you're clearing your throat. 
50 times on your way to a call. That's actually a body's response to stress. I don't remember the exact, the exact pathology of the human body. However, right. it's along the same term. And it's actually, if I remember correctly, it's from the book um, Left of Bang, where they start talking about physical uh, anomalies. I don't know if, you've, if yeah. you're familiar with that book or not. Um, yeah. Kind of like if I'm talking to you and I have my leg crossed in front of me, that's a barrier that's for me to protect myself subconsciously. Sometimes when people are lying, they're saying something to the effect of, you know, no, no, I didn't do it. And they're shaking their head. Yes. Mm -hmm. All that kind of subconscious stuff. So the right. throat, the saliva um, is part of that response. And the reason why I really chuckled about it was until I learned what that was, because I took this class when I was an officer, I didn't understand why I was coughing and clearing my throat, but it's all the response to that. Um, the uh, adrenaline rush that you get when you're in that fight or flight mode. That, that release of cortisol, all that stuff. And when I started learning what box breathing was and how to control your breathing, that's when I stopped having the dry throat. Like I'm going to yeah. do, I'm going to do a size up and stuff and I can't do my size up because I'm coughing or, you know what I mean? Like <clears throat> it's hard to explain, but like, no, you know, I, you, I totally, yeah, I get it a hundred percent. You like, you, you run in to... there and no, go ahead. Yo, you get that dump of adrenaline and you have to manage that because it's going to come out of your body, right? Like it's, there's going to be a reaction. And if you don't manage it before you start talking on the radio, it's coming out in your conversation, right? You're going to, and so I, a long time ago, and again, this is only something I learned, uh, you know, much later in life, but I was, when I was in my first year of college, I was riding on the ambulance and I had a portable radio and I was on part of the day crew. And, um, it was just me and another guy. We pretty much were the day crew in our in our town. And um, I stumbled upon this crash. It actually happened right in front of me. And I mm -hmm. immediately picked up the radio and started talking. And it sounded like I had a stroke on the radio, right? Because that <laughs> adrenaline was dumping at the same time that I sure. was trying to talk. And, you know, I remember that. But at the time, I had no idea. I just was like, oh, you're an idiot. And, you know. You should have sure. done that. Now I look back at it and, and I totally understand how it happened. Um, and you, you have to, you have to manage that. You mentioned box breathing. I, I did box breathing for a really long time and I found it to be helpful. And then I started listening to uh, Andrew Huberman's podcast and uh, he was talking about the physiological sigh. And I have been trying that out with a lot of success. So Basically, the easiest way to describe it is your your heart is driven off of a carbon dioxide buildup. So the sure. more carbon dioxide you have, the more it wants oxygen, the higher it sends your heart rate. So you need to get rid of that carbon dioxide buildup. Um, so basically, if you remember when you were a kid or you had kids and you're throwing a tantrum or whatever and they're crying and they and they're trying to get control of themselves and they do that like <gasps> like kind yep. of. Thing while they're talking, right? That's the yep. that's your body trying to overcome yep. itself and get sure. you back down. So when you do the physiological sigh, you just do that deep breath in, and then you take a second deep breath in before you release, and then you do a really long exhale. And they and it shows, it shows how you can um, start to lower your carbon um, carbon carbon dioxide level and get you know get the oxygenation you need without 
driving your system into overdrive. One of my, I explained that one of my guys, I, I don't think he believed me. Uh, <laughs> so he did his, own, he did his own test and he, he has his, he had his blood pressure machine and stuff. And, and he did it while exercising a couple of times. And he was like, Hey chief, uh, that actually seems to work. And I was like, yeah, well, I you told you what they told me. Like, yeah, <laughs> like I think it, it works for me. So, um, yeah. But yeah, you know, I think it's 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 pretty interesting. But you know, having the cameras and and watching you know watching that stuff, I get to pick up a lot of stuff. I don't know that I would have known that I cleared my throat in that way without sure. listening to myself on there. So you do you do learn a lot. Um, you know, not everybody likes it. The, some of the guys push back. You know, and now we're at a point though, like if I don't turn my camera on, uh, or if it if I double tap it and it shuts off or whatever. Um, you know, guys will be like, Oh chief, did you get video? And I'm like, no. And they're like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, you know, yeah. so, uh, but th I th there's something to it. And you know, like the, 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 one of the reasons I use, like if, if, if uh, NFL teams are willing to put, you know, a couple million dollars into building a, a theater to sit and watch their last game, uh, you know, there's definitely some science behind it. And we can do it on a on a much cheaper level and still get the same value out of it, um, and that you know that takes us back to the beginning of the conversation: vulnerability, humility, honesty, like being able to sit down and watch your performance uh, with a group of people and have it be right there on Front Street is is challenging to do sometimes. Um, but if you do it, you will be better at what you do. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that's, I think that's something that everyone, whether they can put it into words or whether they will put it into words can kind of relate to. And I mean, I know personally, just listening to everything you're saying, I'm kind of, I don't know if you could see me or, or not. I'm kind of chuckling. I'm like, oh, yep. I know what that is. Yeah. Been there yeah. too. And like, you know, whether they're good stories or not, I mean, it doesn't really, I mean, it does matter, but whether they're good experiences or not, everybody can relate. And that's why I think relatability is so important in leadership. And I think all of these different things um, are relatable because they're from yeah. a guy, you, Brian Bassanelli, that has gone through this and done that. And, you know, it has resonated with me a lot. I think I'm going to take a lot away from this podcast. And before, this is a good spot, I think, to kind of wrap things up. But before we wrap it up, I want to ask you this. You talked about a lot of stuff that you learned and you talked about a fire where the guy thought the person was on fire in her apartment and she ended up not being there. And this is Brian, the chief with some time under his belt, walk this all the way back to that day. One thing we talked about where they want you and they need you to be the officer. What do you think day one, Brian, the uh, chief would have felt or, and what do you think it would have been day one, Brian, the new Lieutenant? Same scenario. Yeah. So I think, I think that, um, that's a really good question and it, uh, it would lead me to a whole other conversation that would take too long to have right now, but I would love to have with you, uh, <laughs> about aggressiveness and, uh, sure. misrepresentation of that word. Uh, but I think it's the same thing that basically it comes down to context, right? So on day one, I don't necessarily have the context that I have in year 27. And if that guy came up to me and, you know, told me, 
you know, hey, that lady's in there. First of all, my adrenaline is going to go through the roof. Um, and if I'm not managing that, that leads to uh, potentially fumbling, you know, not being as efficient or effective as I could in my job. And I'm going to, you know, I also have something to prove and I'm going to go in there and, and I'm going to do what I can, but I might not have all of the, the information and I may not have processed the information in the way that I should have. And I could get myself into a, a dangerous situation, right? Um, you know, it's like with that room fire coming out of that, out of that uh, room, specifically at that fire, we had a lot of vent point ignition. So we had pretty decent fire coming out of the front windows. But on the back half of that room, there really wasn't that much fire, right? So like coming in the door uh, where he saw the fire, you know, that half of the room was burning pretty good, which makes sense, understanding the flow path through the building and that kind of stuff. But on the other side of that room, there wasn't a ton of fire over there. Uh, it just didn't consume the room in that way, but it looked like the room was a hundred percent involved. Um, you know, that's stuff that you start to pick up on as you gain experience and, you know, pay attention to what you're doing. So to answer your question, I think, you know, without context, you make more emotional decisions and the more you understand the world that's around you, which you gain through experience and study, um, the better you can interpret the data that's being sent your way and make more appropriate decisions. So to answer your question at its basic level, uh, I would have gone in there and I would have tried to get that lady or I would have sent somebody in there to get that lady. Uh, but I would have, I would have done it in a much more emotional slash reactive way than I think I would today where I'm more willing to take the time to, you know, process the situation and understand what's going on and maybe make a harder decision than I would have made back at that time. I think. Sure. I, does that, yeah, yeah, are you yeah, yeah, yeah. no, 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 you're good. No, 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 it's, it's, it's perfect. And that's the biggest point that I'm making with a lot of that is that can be a day one minute one call, right? Yeah. I know a person in my department that uh, day one of their, First day, they went to a fire and because this person squared away and the crew they worked with was squared away in a, in a sharp battalion, they made rescues. And mm-hmm. it was the culmination of training and experience and, and you know, everybody's knocked it out of the park. All companies, multiple companies yeah. took direct part in that being successful. And because they prepared, they were. So the point that I'm making is all of that comes from preparation before the call, mentally, for yourself, uh, training, uh, diligence, I think is another one. And the big, my biggest lesson is, or my biggest point is you're not going to do this just day one. This is going to come from being preparing yourself to promote or excuse me, preparing yourself to lead, to be in the best position to um, be successful on the fire ground when you prepare to be a leader, not prepare to uh, pass a promotional test. And the point of that is foundation, knowledge of your skills or knowledge of your, uh, your knowledge, skills and abilities and your basic concepts, ideologies and uh, strategies and general orders and all that stuff. 
that plays the biggest part. That's your biggest foundation because I know that I, I personally, as a firefighter, or as an officer, have been like walked up to whatever the situation was, and I'm like, man, I have no idea what the hell to do, but I know this is what I see. This is how to mitigate that. I'm going to start with that at its basic level, and we'll just figure it out as we go. Y- you know, right? And, and it's I've, like I've teaching your kid how to. I'm sorry. It's like teaching your kid how to how to sound out a word, right? Like you got to chunk it, break it down into its component parts to yes. the things that you can handle. And we we had a call uh, not last January, January before, you know, three o'clock on a Sunday morning for a report of a car in the river with people on top of the car. There was like 16 inches of flowing ice and it was 20 degrees out. And they had been there for 45 minutes prior to us getting there. It was a result of a domestic, um, you know, so there was a lot of problems that needed to be solved rapidly. Plus, it was an evolving police situation. The woman had been stabbed. She was holding a three-year-old baby and the husband uh, attempted to kill her and the police shot him and he fell into the river. And Mm. then they're like, "Okay, go. And, you know, that was one of the most complex challenging um rapidly evolving incidents i've ever been involved in but we had to just and nothing went right of course and we had to just keep breaking it down okay that happened how do we handle that okay that happened how do we handle that if you look at if i was to like just look at it from the overall complexity of the issue it could become overwhelming but you have to break it down into its component parts send people to do different jobs you know you can't take one huge bite and expect that you're going to handle it. You got to, you have to break it down and, and, you know, and, uh, you know, we were, we were very successful and, and some people did some very heroic, took some very heroic actions to make sure that the woman and her child were rescued. Um, and it was, it was a challenge though. It was, it was uh, complex. It was evolving. And if I would have just said, you know, looked at it holistically uh, or globally, uh, I don't think it it would have worked out the way it did. We had to assign people to do different jobs and they had to each manage their own little part of it. And we, we chunked it and broke it down into those parts. So I think it's, it's important. And I think that that experience and uh, development allows you to see those situations for what they are so that you can do that. Sure. Yeah, and you, you just have to break everything down into its most basic level, right? Ideology, um, procedure, and just – I mean I hate to say it like this, but nature of the beast because that's really what it is. And the reason why I say that is nothing goes right, right? A plan of action is just a list of things that are going to go wrong. It's not going to survive your first contact, whatever it is. I forget where I heard that. I heard that recently, and I, I, I really wish yeah. I could remember where I heard it. But Somebody in, in, said something about like uh, – or uh, maybe it was Mike Tyson said something about is something very similar where yeah. everything works out until they get punched in the face or something. Yeah, like everyone's that. got everyone has a great plan until they're punched in the face. I think it's Mike Tyson's right. uh, quote. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I know. I mean, the the ones the the calls that really not burnt me, but the calls that really kind of kicked me in the teeth were the ones where I least expected anything crazy to happen, where it just seemed routine or you know out of left field, just absolute freaking insanity i think um the fire service in general has a really really good way of you getting put out for 
I don't know, let's say a minor car accident and you get there and it's going to be now a call that you're going to remember for the rest of your life and you're never going to forget it. However, you're not in the position to sit there and go, oh man, what should we do? No, you're there to make your decisions. You're there to act. You're there to lead. You're there to be confident. Um, you know, and, and I think human nature wise, you know, leadership is a lot of theater and you're going to have to understand that you're going to have to act a certain way, even though your mind is going to be going a thousand different ways, you have to normal face it and you have to, um, act confident, but you have to have the competence to back all that up. Right. There's been calls yeah. where I'm like, Hey, we're doing a, B and C a couple people are like, Hey man, nice job. And in my mind, I'm like, man, I am so glad that freaking worked. Cause I was <laughs> nervous. Like they're like, Hey, what are we going to? LT, what are we going to do? We're going to do boom, boom, boom. And in my mind, I'm like, man, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I, I, think that's, I think any officer with time under their belt is going to have those situations. And, yep. you know. And, I, and I think, that just that just drives home the importance of working every day to be as competent as you can. Sure. Because you're still going to be challenged no matter how far you think you've come. You're sure. still going to run into a situation where you're like – like you said, man, I, I hope this works because if it doesn't, it's not going to be good. Sure. And that's where you get that buy-in and that that payoff um, of working hard with your guys and, and creating that bond and that chemistry of um, that firehouse flow where they're going to say, all right, cool, LT struggling a little bit or they'll check you like, hey, man, like, you know, you good or whatever. Or yeah, you create that, you foster that environment of people you know, where they'll kind of see you're off your game and maybe offer a suggestion. Cause ultimately at the end of the day on a fire ground or on an emergency incident, it's not a democracy. It is not a democracy. I'm telling you to do something. You're going to do it. However, if you see something that needs to come to my attention or you want to add your input for whatever you see, be confident and say it because you, yeah. you may catch something that I missed. Hey, let's go through the front door. LT. I see smoke coming out of those basement windows. Hey, I think it's in the basement. All right, cool. All right, yeah, it's in the basement. Let's change tactics because those things are important. I can't see everything, right? The officer can't see everything, y right. you know. So, and I think the way you respond to those suggestions is important as well, right? Sure. Like, like you said, it it is not a democracy. There is a time where we can talk about it. Like, if if you don't like the way something went on a fire ground, then come and talk to me later on because maybe I need to see something that I didn't see you know, as I should have or whatever, but at the same time, you know, that's a two way street. And, sure. and I wanted to say this before all of the watching of the guys that I do to try and learn who they are and, and that kind of thing, they're doing the same thing with me. Oh yeah. And yep. you know, they're, you're constantly being watched and evaluated. And if you don't acknowledge that or, or, or you pretend like, yeah, I got this. Or, like, I think there's some, there is some, a huge benefit in coming back to the station and being a little bit vulnerable and saying, man, I'm glad that worked out. Cause I didn't know what we were going to do. Right. Like, or I could have just been, I could have just said, Oh yeah, that was the plan. Like, you know, I could act like we knocked it out of the park because I made that decision, but sure. that's not the case at all. No. And you got to give credit uh, so, where it's due. Yeah. 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 You right. got to give, you got to give the credit yeah. where it's due. Um, yeah. So, it's been a great discussion. I think this is a good place to end. I do want to bring you back for aggressiveness and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, yeah. You are a very recognizable name in the fire service. I'm not going to lie. Fire industry. I'm not going to lie about that in any way. And I'm sure you know that. So, uh, you know, 
where can people reach you? Uh, what's a good way to get a hold of you if they had any questions? Do you have social media? Yeah, so um, I do all of that stuff. Um, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Brian Bastinelli. Just search those up in whatever platform, and I'm there. Uh, Instagram Messenger is a pretty good way to get a hold of me. Facebook Messenger is probably the worst way to get a hold of me. And if we need to go beyond that, I'll give you my phone number, my email, or whatever. And then um, also I have a website called firemanshipjournal.com which I apologize. I'm, I've been a little lax on, but, um, they'll be seeing some more stuff come out of there as well. Um, so that's, that's pretty much how to get a hold of me. I, you know, I do teach classes and stuff. If, if you're interested in something like that, hit me up and, uh, we can talk about that, but I'm out there. If you, if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me. Awesome. Well, don't go anywhere while I close the show out. We're going to add all of that to the, uh, episode description. And the links will be added as well. Uh, Chief, thanks again. I appreciate your time. Um, and everyone listening. I appreciate you asking. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Um, everyone out there listening, thank you all for your time. Thank you for being uh, loyal. Uh, right now we are growing rapidly, a lot faster than I ever thought would be possible. And none of that is, out, is possible without you, the listeners. So thank you. Also, before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast. Leaving us a review on your favorite podcast network will help us grow our community. Five stars are our favorite. And most of all, just keep in mind that we're going to be coming out with new episodes. I have a new project coming out. I want you to, I'm really, really looking forward to getting this started. Um, and uh, more information coming. You may even find it on my Instagram page. So, Everyone, thank you again for your time um, and tip of the spirit leadership. Be present, be yourself, be unstoppable. Thank you guys and have a great day.